Good evening, everyone. It is uh, great to be back in uh, the book of Genesis again this evening. Do open back up to uh, chapter 40, which uh, Jamie was reading for us just a minute ago, and we're going to be working our way through uh, that passage this evening. Waiting. Not many of us enjoy waiting for things in life, do we? In a fast, non-stop world, none of us have time, do we, to wait at a crosswalk, in a queue, at the doctor's. As uh, American uh, writer and speaker Jen Wilkin puts it, in the world's eyes, waiting is an evil to eliminate. Perhaps uh, you sympathize with that way of thinking. And yet, so often in the Bible, what do we see? People waiting. People having to wait. Why is that? Well, I think it's first because that's a reality of life, isn't it? Very rarely does it seem that things come together according to our own preferred timings and timelines. And then I think it's also because of this, that as Jen Wilkin also puts it, from a Christian perspective, turning worldly wisdom on its head, waiting is actually a virtue to cultivate a virtue to cultivate. And so in God's word, what do we see? Example after example of people waiting. And from that, we can see what it would be and what it is for us to wait well. See, as we pick up in Genesis 40 this evening, what do we find? We find Joseph waiting Remember, so far we've seen he's been sold into slavery. He's in a foreign land. Now he's been wrongly imprisoned after he's been falsely accused. He is, as he himself says in this chapter, in verse 15, he is in the pit. And he is just waiting for God to work, to get him out, to lift him up from this pit. After all, do you remember, even um, he had dreamed these dreams back in chapter 37, hadn't he, of his father, his mother, his brothers bowing down to him. Well, they weren't going to do that where he currently found himself in prison, were they? So surely God would have to be at work here. So Joseph is waiting. And he had to wait, didn't he? Look at how the chapter starts off, if you've got it there in front of you. Verse 1, we read these little words, some time after this. See, Joseph doesn't seem to end up in prison just for a day or two. No, from the end of chapter 39 and from this start to chapter 40, it seems clear that he ends up in the prison for quite a while. We even read that he's had time, hasn't he, to win the favor of the prison keeper, to succeed then in his newfound responsibilities in the prison. Some time after this. Those are words we might well pass over in a passage like this, but I think they also reflect a reality, don't they? They reflect a frustration that we could say that many of us also feel at different times when we find ourselves waiting for some time. See, there are some times in our lives when we find ourselves in situations, in dark places even, and there is no immediate sign of a way out. 
sometime later implies that something is about to happen, and we're going to see that, isn't it? But we can't brush over this, unquant- this time here, this unknown quantity of time. Because we also sometimes find ourselves there, don't we? Waiting, waiting for things to change. As we said at the the start, in the Bible, right the way through the history of God's people, there have been some times of waiting like this, haven't there? In Egypt, in, in the wilderness, in exile, people waiting, hoping for God to work. And of course, that can be true for us today. Perhaps you even feel like this very evening, you are in one of those sometime periods in your life. Perhaps you're waiting for a particular, particular change, significant circumstance, change in your life. Perhaps you're waiting to feel true light and joy once again. Perhaps you're just finding yourself emotionally, spiritually worn down, worn down by grief, by disappointments, unfulfilled expectations, whatever it may be. Well, if that is you, I think in many ways you would empathize and sympathize with Joseph here. He is in the prison, as we've said, and here he is just waiting, waiting for God to work. He is desperate, isn't he, for things to change, to improve him. We see that, don't we, halfway through this passage where he, he, uh, he calls on the cupbearer and says, please help me get out of this situation. And in our passage this evening, then as Joseph waits, longs for God to work, lift him from the pit. That is what we then begin to see him do. We're going to look through the rest of the verses 1 to 22 here and just begin to see this. So he's waiting for God to work, and now we see, and we can watch God at work. Watch God at work while Joseph waits. Because I think that's clearly what's on show here in the rest of this chapter. Look with me, and we'll briefly see four ways that we see God at work here for the seeming good and for the benefit of Joseph. Already, if you remember, we got a hint of God at work, didn't we, at the end of chapter 39. Joseph, rather than being uh, killed, being executed for his crimes, instead he's put into a prison. And we had that hint, didn't we? It was a prison where the king's prisoners were confined. A hint of hope, perhaps God at work. And here in verses 1 to 4, we see that not only is that the case, but now God also puts these prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker, who are close to Pharaoh in Joseph's care. We read, don't we, if you look there with me, of the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committing an offense. And the Pharaoh, he's angry, throws them into this very same prison that Joseph is in. The writer makes it clear. That's in there, isn't it? See, links between Pharaoh, someone who could do something about Joseph's situation, and Joseph himself, they're getting closer. And look at verse 4. Not only that, but they are then put in personal contact and connection with Joseph as the captain of the guard appoints Joseph to be with these prisoners, attending to them even. And we can sense here in this passage this heightened expectation, can't we? Ah, well, here's how God's going to work. Here is how God is going to sort this out. It's going to be through these influential men who can maybe put in a good word for Joseph with Pharaoh. But then again, we're reminded nothing is happening immediately, is it? Verse 4, end of verse 4, we read, they continued for some time in custody, still 
waiting. And the tension begins to rise. Is this then going to be the way for Joseph to get out? Well, verse 5, again, well, maybe yes. Maybe. We cut into this ongoing wait, don't we? Suddenly we read, one night, the cupbearer and the baker each dream their own dream. As the passage says, each with their own interpretation. And here again, we see God at work, don't we? Giving these prisoners dreams for Joseph to interpret. How would Joseph gain the favor of these prisoners? Well, God makes a way, doesn't he? Look in verse 6. Joseph comes to them in the morning and he sees that they are troubled. So he asks, why? To which they say, verse 8, we've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Locked away in prison, no, no royal interpreters, no magicians, no wise men to help them. What are they to do? They're left helpless, wondering, aren't they, what these dreams could mean. Only they aren't left helpless, are they? Because God has made it that Joseph was with them. And of course, God was with Joseph, as we saw last week. And so that's why Joseph replies in verse 8, doesn't he? Do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. Joseph knows, doesn't he, that his great sovereign God can do something as simple as interpret a dream. After all, as we've been singing about this evening, all of time is in his hands. He knows the end from the beginning, and so he could certainly reveal what these dreams mean for the futures of the cupbearer and the baker. And in passing, we would do well to, I think, ourselves remember that truth that lies behind what Joseph's saying here, wouldn't he? Wouldn't we? As we go on through life, as we wait, as we go through the ups and the downs, there is a God who knows the end from the beginning. The end from the beginning of all creation and our end from our beginning. God alone knows the future, knows our future, our lives are safe in his hands. And that reassuringly means, doesn't it, we don't need to turn to magicians, to palm readers, to whoever else it might be to find out our future. Because we can just learn to rest and remember God is above it all. And his purposes, his plans for his people, they're good. And so we just keep looking to him again and again. But for now, let's continue. Let's press on to watch God continue to work. Because not only does God give these prisoners dreams for Joseph to interpret, he then goes on and helps Joseph to interpret the dreams correctly. Look with me now from verse 9. The chief cupbearer, he's first up to bat, isn't he? He's straight to the mark, and he launches into what his, his dream was about. A vine. Three branches, blossoming, ripening grapes. The cupbearer pressing those grapes and placing the cup in Pharaoh's hands. And having heard the details of the dream, look at the response of Joseph there in verse 12. No hesitation, just straight out. Tells the cupbearer the interpretation. Again, we've got to see God at work here, haven't we? Do you remember Joseph? Earlier in chapter 37, he'd shown this ability, hadn't he, to interpret those, that dream of his brothers bowing down to
to him. His brother's sheaves bowing down to, to his sheaf. Well, I don't know about you, that, that's not overly complicated. There's nothing too, too amazing about that. But this is a different kind of dream, isn't it? This is a different kettle of fish. It's a bit like that moment that I, I don't think Heather and I have quite reached yet, where our eldest daughter is only six. But some of you may know this. When your child comes through the door with a piece of homework, and you're like, oh, right, hmm. Up to that point, it's fine. Simple, some, some, some additions, some spellings. But suddenly you're going into long division and, and protons and electrons and neutrons or whatever else it might be. Time then, isn't it, to call in some reinforcements. It's a good thing of a church. Normally there's somebody who's an expert in those things around, isn't there? Well, same here for Joseph, right? Reinforcements are needed. But of course his reinforcements are already with him. Because God is with him. So as we said, straight in, he just tells the cupbearer what it means. Verse 12, here it is. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Joseph, so confident then that this will happen, he goes on, doesn't he, as we've already said, into this appeal to the cupbearer in verses 14 and 15. But for now, if you jump over to verse 16 with me, look at how we see the same thing again with the chief baker. He's excited, isn't he? He sees that the the cupbearer's dream has been interpreted favorably, and so he now comes up to bat. He launches into his account of the dream. But unfortunately for the baker the interpretation isn't so promising. Verse 18, what do we see? Yes, his three cake baskets, they also represent three days. But this time, instead of Pharaoh lifting up his head and restoring him, we read that his head will be lifted up from him. He will be hung on a tree. Pretty brutal, we could say. And yet this is what God had revealed to Joseph. And so he tells it to the baker straight, doesn't he? After all, what would be the the benefit of hiding this from him, given that this is what is going to happen? Just look look on in verse 20. This is exactly what happens. Joseph, with God's help, has interpreted these dreams correctly, hasn't he? We read that on the third day, Pharaoh's birthday, he makes a feast for all his servants, and he lifts up the heads of both the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, But only the chief cupbearer was restored to his previous position, placing the cup again in Pharaoh's hand. And the chief baker, well, he's hanged, just like Joseph had said. So as we watch on here, we follow with the story, we see God continuing to work, don't we, in Joseph's waiting, helping him to interpret these dreams. And not just that, but to to interpret them 100% correctly. This is God at work. And of course, not only that, but there's this specific detail in all that happens here, isn't it, that also seems to be showing God at work. And that is that he makes it that the cupbearer will be restored close to Pharaoh, close enough to put the cup into his hand. Now, we don't read directly in this passage of God 
doing that, we read that it's Pharaoh who, first of all, threw the men in prison and then who also lifted them up. But we've seen enough, if we've been in Genesis up to this point, to know that God is able to work even through people's actions. See, I think we see Joseph recognizing God's hand in all of this, don't we? When, as we've already mentioned, back in verses 14 and 15, he asks that favor of the cupbearer. He asks, doesn't he, if you look there, that after he's restored, the cupbearer would mention him to Pharaoh. It seems that Joseph is seeing the same thing that we've just been seeing here as we've worked through the passage. God seems to be working. He's put these prisoners into his care. He's given them dreams for Joseph to interpret. And now, one of them is going to be restored close enough to Pharaoh to put a cup into his hand. And so Joseph concludes, like us, surely this must be God at work. To use perhaps this cupbearer to lift him from the pit. And so, seeing all of this with heightened expectation and anticipation, we reach verse 22, and we expect verse 23 to read something like this, don't we? And so the chief cupbearer immediately went and told Pharaoh about Joseph, and in turn, the Pharaoh lifted him from the pit, gave him a royal pardon, and set him free. That's where this chapter's been headed, hasn't it? And yet, what is it that verse 23 says? Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's about as unexpected a sentence as we find in the Bible, isn't it? And just in case we happen to miss just how jarring this is, that the writer has said the same thing twice. Do you notice that in that sentence? He doesn't remember Joseph. He forgets him. So you and I, as the readers here, are left saying, well, what's going on? What is all of this about then? It has seemed right the way through this chapter that God has been at work. We've been watching him at work, haven't we, over the past few minutes in all these different ways. And yet, here, this is how we're left. Where are we left? Well, in some ways, I think we're left right back at the beginning again, aren't we? Waiting. Joseph, waiting again for God to work. And in fact, we find out from uh, chapter 41, verse 1, that for Joseph, nothing changes for a long time. One, two days, that turns into a week. A week turns into a month. A month turns into a year. One year turns into two years. There is no use hiding it, is there? Joseph must have realized, mustn't he? He must have known this. He's been forgotten, And again, maybe we feel like we can relate to Joseph in some way here. Maybe, as we said at the start, you find yourself in a time of waiting in your life, waiting for God to work, almost like you've been forgotten, waiting for God to lift you up out of whatever pit, whatever darkness you currently find yourself in. Maybe you've even been in or now find yourself in a similar situation to Joseph where you've had your hopes even raised where it seems like a path out of this is coming closer. And yet, once again, the doors close. 
darkness again. It just hasn't ever materialized as you'd hoped or expected. And of course, the same can be true for smaller things in life, can't it? That we feel like we're waiting on. Situations or circumstances that though we might or, or we might not describe them as being in the pit, we feel could surely be improved, changed for our good, for our spiritual benefit even. Things as simple as house sales, house builds, things like hopes of a relationship, waiting on an operation, getting over an illness, making friends, feeling settled somewhere, getting your promotion, whatever it is. We can wait on things and we find it hard, don't we? Because often the waiting goes on much longer than we would ever hope. So, given all of that, how should we, how can we respond to these kinds of situations when we're waiting like this? In particular, I think then, what does this chapter teach us? What does it point us to? Well, I want from here on out to, to just consider three key things then for us. Three key things that we can look to do while we wait on God. See, I think it would be easy, wouldn't it, for our frustration, for our disappointment to turn to despair in these kinds of situations. What's the point in pressing on? What hope do I even have? But this chapter, and I think the surrounding ones too, do, I think, give us a model through Joseph, through what we see here, of what we can do, even while we're waiting, even while we feel that ongoing disappointment. So, not allowing our disappointment to turn to despair, let's see these three things that we can do as we wait on God at work. And first of all, I think we see in the person of Joseph, this example of just time and time again, carrying on, living a faithful life. Steve spoke about this last week, didn't he? Joseph here is far from home, no longer in the promised land, abandoned by his family, falsely accused, imprisoned. And yet at no point do we even get a hint of him leaving his God behind. No, he just presses on, doesn't he, in looking to honor him, serve him in all that he does. We saw that in what Joseph did last week. And again, I think we see it so clearly here in this passage. Look in verse 4 with me. What do we see Joseph doing there? Once again, just faithfully getting on with the job that God has given him. In this case, attending and looking out for the cupbearer, the baker. And we see from verses 6 to 8 that he's not doing this begrudgingly or in some kind of careless way, is he? He could so easily have been tempted to do that. But no, instead, we get a sense there in those verses of him still just pressing on in doing all that he can, bringing blessing even, and help where he can. After all, what do we read in these, these verses? What kind of attendant do we see here? Well, we see a caring attendant, a thoughtful attendant. Even in his own dark place, Joseph knows that he's been given this task by the Lord of caring for others who are probably also in their own dark places. And he does that, doesn't he? He stops and he notices, he takes time to notice that the cupbearer, the baker are troubled, that they're downcast. And not only then, he, that, he then takes time, doesn't he, to ask about it. What do we see here? 
Someone who, in his disappointment, in his confusion, has refused to sink into despair. Sure, he wants to get out, doesn't he? We've made that clear, verses 14 to 15. But while he waits, he's just getting on with the job at hand, with the work that God has given him. He's talking with the people who God has put around him. And then I think it's also fair to just look at the space after verse 23 of our chapter again. That space, you can almost picture it there in your Bible, between 23 and verse 41. These two years that Joseph has to wait before he ultimately is restored. And see again, the likelihood is those years... They were full of disappointment, weren't they? And yet he just carries on doing the same. After all, we find out that when the cupbearer does eventually tell Pharaoh about Joseph in the next chapter, he's brought up, isn't he, from the same pit. You can imagine just two more years of faithfully serving the Lord, blessing those in the pit with him. Joseph, we, we know from the text here, where well, he ends up, he's not disgraced. He's not been, been moved from this prison for bad behavior or removed from his position perhaps because of laziness. No. Two years later, where is he? Doing the same thing. Plugging away. Serving. Looking after the people around him. Now, I would never say this is easy. But I do think what we see here of Joseph should remind us to look to do the same when we're in similar times of waiting, waiting for God to work. What can we do while we wait? Well, it doesn't have to be anything grand. We just faithfully get up and on with the day that's ahead of us, the day that God has given us. And you know what? As we do that, we can be confident that God will help us and that God will even, like Joseph here, use us to bless others. And we can be confident that as we've been thinking about in this whole series, God will just be continuing to work. Continuing to work, to shape, to mold us, to change our character. But also, perhaps to work a way out of that pit, ultimately. God's at work, even if we're not aware of it. And linked to that, the second thing I think we see here in this passage that we can do while we wait on God to work, not letting that disappointment turn to despair, is this. Like Joseph, be ready to take God-given opportunities. Opportunities that God could choose to work through. We see this in verses 14 to 15 in particular, don't we, in that central section of the passage. As we see Joseph there pleading with the cupbearer to vouch for him to Pharaoh after he's restored. Now, some people see verses 14 to 15 as kind of grabby, Joseph trying to get his own way out of prison. But I don't think that's at all what's going on here. No, I think what we see here is that Joseph has, partly as a result, right, of him faithfully getting on with his job, seeing the cupbearer, getting to know them, he has spotted a glimmer of hope. And I think he sees, well, maybe this is God. Maybe this is God at work. And so he's looked to take that opportunity, hasn't he? 
What Joseph does here reminds me of that story, right? I think we, most of us will have heard of the, of the minister in the small rural town who finds his home flooding. A neighbor comes by, first of all, in a canoe to offer assistance. A, a guy comes by in a motorboat. And finally, someone comes by in a helicopter. And each time the minister says the same thing to them. No, don't worry. I have faith in God. He will rescue me. But eventually, predictably, the minister ends up drowning, doesn't he? And the story then goes on that in heaven, the minister turns to God and says, I had faith in you. Why didn't you save me? To which God replied, what more did you want from me? I sent a boat, two boats, and a helicopter. Now, what's that to do with Joseph? Well, as he went about looking to faithfully serve the Lord, even in the pit, as he waited, he seemed to have his eyes open, didn't he? He hadn't sunk into despair. He was watching and looking, how is God at work here? No sulking in the corner, no just waiting in the corner even, as if God would just miraculously one day lift him out of the pit. No, in verses 14 and 15, he spots the present opportunity that God has given him to speak, to speak with his cupbearer, to ask for his kindness and help, and so he takes it. This is no lack of faith in God. This is him actually acting on his faith in God, knowing that God is at work and can be at work even through a circumstance like this to lift him from the pit. Well, what about for you and me then? When we find ourselves disappointed, when we find ourselves in times of waiting, waiting for God to change our circumstances, lift us from the emotional, the spiritual pit, what can we do? I guess the question is, do we simply end up sulking in a corner, or even just waiting in the corner? Or do we just keep pressing on? As we said, faithfully looking to serve the Lord, while also actively looking, expecting, waiting for ways that God might be working, even through the circumstances around us to change things. Could it be through a friend? Could it be through a conversation that unexpectedly opens up? Someone unexpectedly drawing alongside you, messaging you? Could it be as you seek the Lord in prayer? Could it be that he speaks to you through his word? Are we ready? Are we listening? Are we expecting? Are we hoping in God? knowing that he can work, and are we ready to take those opportunities that he might give us? Now, as I mentioned, those two things we can be doing, as disappointed but not despairing, we wait on God to work. Here's where I want us to finish this evening, though, because in some ways I think both of these flow out of this. How can we find ourselves in the pit in different difficult circumstances but not end up in despair? Well, we can only do that ultimately by remembering God. This is ultimately what we can do while we wait on God to work, isn't it? 
See, I, I think the writer pushes us here in how he has formed this chapter. It's very clever, isn't it? As it finishes, we read these words. The chief cupbearer does not remember Joseph. He forgets him. And it makes us as readers stop, doesn't it, and think. Right, if Joseph has been let down, wrongly treated again, as it were, by those around him, first his brothers, right, then Potiphar's wife, now the cupbearer, what hope is there for Joseph? Well, only, surely, the one person who will remember Joseph who will never forget him, God. That's right, isn't it? After all, people, they will let us down. But God will never let us down. Here's what the pastor and writer James Montgomery Boyce writes. It's worth stressing that God does not forget his people because we do forget We forget others. We forget God. We even forget that God doesn't forget. That's true, isn't it? We even forget that God doesn't forget. In many ways, chapter 41, which we're going to see in detail next week, can be summed up, I think. If you wanted a summary of, of a chapter, it's a long one, in this way. But God did not forget Joseph. You have to imagine that as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years, as Joseph did realize that he'd been forgotten by the cupbearer, this is the only thing, right, that must have kept him going. Kept him pressing on day by day, remembering that while others would forget him, his faithful God Never would, because he doesn't forget his people. Already in Genesis, God has made this clear, hasn't he? He's spoken of this everlasting covenant between him and Isaac and his offspring, of whom, of course, Joseph is one. And of course, as Joseph remembered God, he could remember, couldn't he, how God had shown that he, this to be the case too, that he wouldn't forget him. He could remember how God had already been at work how he'd continued to be with him, how he'd blessed him, even in Potiphar's house, even in the prison, how he'd enabled him up to this point to make this connection with someone so close to Pharaoh. After all, by remembering that, what is Joseph remembering? He's remembering, well, even if God doesn't end up using that connection, this is the kind of God who I worship, who can, well, surely he can make another connection like that. He can lift me from the pit. Joseph could look back and remember how God has been at work, sustaining, helping him. And then as Joseph turns, remembers God, remembers the God who would always remember him, he could remember, couldn't he, the hope that God had given him. I think I've said this before, but I am convinced this is one of the main reasons that God chose to reveal his ultimate plan to Joseph through those dreams, right, back in chapter 37. He, he perhaps unwisely, didn't he, look, chose to share those with his family. But I think these, those dreams were given for these moments. Chapter 40. These moments when locked away in the pit, when perhaps he, he would begin to lose heart, lose hope. He could remember, couldn't he? God has revealed this to me. One day I will be lifted up. 
my brothers, my father and mother even, will bow down to me. For that to be the case, surely this life in the pit wouldn't be the end of Joseph's story, would it? There was a brighter future for Joseph to come that he could hope in, that he could cling on to, even in the darkness, even in the pit. So what was it that ultimately left Joseph not despairing in the pit, but pressing on, waiting patiently for God to work? I think it must have been the fact that he remembered his God. And then he lived for him, looking to serve him. And of course, for each of us, this is what we, I think, are called to do as well, isn't it? In the darkness, even as we wait on God for the big things, even for the smaller things in our life. Like Joseph, we can remember that we have a God who will never forget us. No matter what it seems like, no matter what it seems like everyone else around us is doing, whether they've forgotten us, our God is a God who says again to you this evening, I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will stand there with you. I will uphold you and be with you. Here's what the psalmist says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. And remembering that gives us the strength, doesn't it, to do another day, to press on in our waiting, even when we know that we cannot do it in our own strength. We remember that God is with us. But then also, like Joseph, we can look at how God has already been at work in our lives up to this point, reminding us that he is continuing to do that. We can look back at how, above all, if we're Christians here this evening, God has worked that glorious miracle in our lives of opening our eyes to see his son, to see our need of him. And then, of course, each of us, have our own stories, don't we? Of how many times in our lives, God has just sustained us, helped us, blessed us, even in the hard times. And all of that just reminds us that our God is still there, working for us, working for our good. He's not stopping working. And then also, like Joseph, we can remember, can't we, the hope Remember the hope that God has given every single one of us this evening. Not like Joseph of our family one day coming and bowing down to us, but a much greater hope than that. A hope of that day when we will bow. When we will bow in worship and praise of our God, rejoicing, praising him eternally in the new heavens and the new earth. And you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no pit. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And do you know why? Because God himself will wipe every tear from the eyes of his people. And we will be with him. And we will know only his goodness forever. That is what our God is like. And that is our hope. And it's a hope, isn't it, that sustains us, even in the darkest pit that we find ourselves in. It's a hope that God has given us that can never be taken from us. Will God work to lift us out of the present pit that maybe some of us find ourselves in here on earth? Or 
any future pit, any difficulties or circumstances that we might want changed in the future? Well, the truth is we cannot be 100% sure of that. God sometimes does do that. Sometimes that is how he works. Other times he doesn't. We're right, aren't we, to go on praying, go on asking for the Lord to change. But you know, even if things don't change, there is a hope, isn't there? There is a hope that sustains us. Just like Joseph, that pit, those difficulties, they are not the end of our story. They are not the end of your story. We have a future, a glorious, eternal future to look forward to. And that truth encourages us, doesn't it? Encourages us that no matter our circumstances, no matter what tomorrow brings, we get up again. We look to our Lord and we cling to him and we remember he will never forget us. Remember how Jen Jen Wilkin put it? Godly wisdom, Christian wisdom says, waiting is a virtue to cultivate. Why? Well, above all, I'd say because it does this in our lives. It pushes us back again and again to the God who is above that waiting, above that circumstance, above that situation. A God who we can be confident is with us. And he is working. A God who does remember us. And a God who one day will return and bring us to himself. And that day, that day will bring all of our waiting to an end. As we go and be with him forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this story of Joseph. And Lord, we thank you for this chapter, because in many ways, as bleak as it is, Lord, it feels so real. Lord, there are many times when things don't feel like they are working themselves out as we would have hoped, as we would have expected. Lord, there are often times when we feel we are just waiting. Lord, we thank you for the example of Joseph here. His example of just faithfully getting on, serving you in the place that you have put him. Not in despair. And Lord, please would you help us. Please would you help each of us. You know our lives. You know our situations. You know what tomorrow holds for us. Lord, we just look to you again. And above all this week, we remember you. Lord, because you remember us. We are safe in your hands. Lord, we thank you for that glorious hope that you have given us. Lord, that hope of that day when all of our waiting will be brought to an end, when we we will be with you forever, rejoicing around your throne. Help us to fix our eyes on that day. And would that encourage us to go again tomorrow, this week, this month, go again serving you, looking to you in all things. We thank you that you are a good, sovereign God who we can look to in all of our circumstances in life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to um, close by singing this song, uh, I Will Wait for You, and it picks up on...
much of what we've been thinking about here. The first verse, out of the depths I cry to you, from darkest places I will call. We call out to the Lord and we wait for him to work. Let's stand and sing together.